title for today's message is going to be Unraveling a Mystery. Unraveling a Mystery. It's going to have a lot of numbers in it, but I'm not going to ask you to do any math, I don't think. Maybe a little bit. Uh, minimal. It'll be fun. It'll be good. Um, I know uh, as Christians, as, as church members, some of us are younger, some of us are older. We've been going to church for a while. We've heard the sermons. We have our foundation. We know who Jesus is. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is, is allow me, if you will, to kind of help you lay, uh, I don't want to say a new foundation because, you know, if your foundation obviously is Christ, that's what it should be. But how did you learn Christ? How did you learn about Jesus? I had a guy on Facebook this week uh, send me a message. We went back and forth about some stuff. He was going to start a church, and um, I just didn't agree with some of the things he was doing. And I, wasn't, I just wanted to, to see where his, his mindset was because he's a guy that I know personally. And throughout, we talked about a lot of things. One, one thing that he messaged me back was, well, uh, when you get a chance, send me something about why you have uh, a problem with uh, Reformed theology or Tulip or five-point Calvinist doctrine. How, does that even... Uh, ring a bell to a lot of people. I don't know. That's one of the problems I have with it. Like, where I don't understand that. My wife and I were talking, and, and I've studied all that stuff. I know what he means by it. I know what it stands for. I know the doctrine behind it. My problem with it, I guess, would be that I want to follow Christ. Amen? Amen. And when Christ went around teaching for three and a half years after he received uh, the Spirit or the anointing, however it comes to you, uh, obviously he received his commission at the Jordan River when he was baptized. And for three and a half years, he went out and he taught and he gained disciples and he revolutionized Jewish thought. He revolutionized how we understand God. And with 12 men at his side, he completely flipped the world upside down. And we're still talking about him today. There's a reason for that. Now, I'm not smart enough to know every single thing that he used or that was going on in his mind. But I can tell you one thing that he didn't preach. He didn't preach Reformed theology. Because that term didn't exist. He didn't preach Calvinism because Calvin had not yet been born. He didn't teach Tulip because nobody had yet developed that. So it's not that everything involved in the world of theology or doctrine is terrible or, terrible or evil. But from a foundational standpoint, I'm pretty sure what Jesus Christ did was he worked from a root of Hebraic understanding. Being a Jew, right? He worked from a root of Hebraic and Old Testament understanding and he used that as his platform and he began to reveal to the world what that actually meant. Who God actually was. So it's very difficult for people before Christ to have a personal relationship with God because that personal relationship comes when the Holy Spirit works through you to connect to God, which was lost in the Garden of Eden. And Christ said... Uh, Whenever he stood up at one of the feasts and he cried out, whoever comes to drink from this fountain, his belly will be a fountain of living waters. And in parentheses, in the Gospel of John, it tells us this he spake of the Holy Ghost, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. The Holy Ghost was not poured out until Acts chapter 2 could not be poured out until Christ was crucified and resurrected and or glorified. So until that time, you didn't really get to have a personal relationship with God. So everything that you could do to follow him was based on rules and regulations. Now we have a new covenant. And the new covenant is a revelation of what the old covenant was teaching. Are you with me? And all of that came from a Hebraic standpoint. So at Edgewater, what we're going to do is use Hebrew and Jewish roots as a foundation of how we teach and expound on the word of God. Because I believe that's what Christ did. And I don't think we're going to find a way to do it better than he did it. 
Abraham had the same idea. He was like, well, I heard that you were going to give me offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea, but I don't even have a single kid. 20 years later, he was like, hey, I still don't have a kid. Remember that thing we talked about? Stars and sand, that whole deal? It's not really working out. My wife is actually letting me have other wives to try to make it work out, and that ended up not good. So what can we, what can we do? And God was like, if I said it, I'm going to do it. If I said it, I'm going to perform it. Your problem is you live within the confinement of time, and God does not. And when God says He's going to do a thing, He's going to do it. So we look out here, and that doesn't look possible to humanize. But with God, anything's possible, right? All things are possible through Christ Jesus. Amen. So if that's the word that's coming, that's great. Here is the deal. It's based on preparation. So when you think of preparation, what do you think about in terms of the gospel? Not commercials or stuff you buy at the grocery store. Preparation is part of the armor of God. So we understand in the armor of God, some things are everything's just called straight up what it is, except for one thing. The helmet is salvation, straight up. The breastplate is righteousness, straight up. The girdle or the belt is truth, and no description. Shield is faith, sword of the word, which is uh, your Bible. Uh, All of that is straight up. The only thing that has an extra description is the gospel. And the Bible says, let your feet be shod with the preparation. Everybody say prepare. Prepare. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Very interesting It's not just the gospel, it is the preparation of the gospel. So if we are going to be prepared for an influx of humanity to this, not this spot, but to this church, then what we need to be prepared with is the gospel, right? Because we don't have mega church mindset. We don't want to build a 30,000 seat auditorium to put 30,000 people in it and say, look at our huge church. So if we're going to prepare, it's not going to be with handshakes and hugs and like, oh, get ready, brother, here it comes, get ready, let's do it. It's not about being excited about building something big. It's about souls. So if we're going to prepare for souls, we need to get our hearts and our minds in the right place concerning people. Not concerning numbers, not concerning size. Uh, I hope it ends up being campuses if we do get big versus one big building. And we're focused on souls. So how do we prepare for that? With the gospel. So it's very importante, bilingual, very importante that we understand what the gospel itself is based on. It is the good news. The gospel is the good news. Well, what is the good news? There's a lot to that. Good news, Christ came to die for you so that you don't have to live eternally in hell. He has delivered a way whereby we can have fellowship again, connect again with God, and have an eternal promise of heaven, right? Good news, the sick don't have to suffer. He can heal them in Jesus' name. Good news... The demons that are afflicting you, he has a way of casting them out. Good news, all of us that have fallen short of the glory of God, he is going to pay this debt that we cannot pay. And he's going to take care of it for us. Good news, the blood of Christ and his grace is sufficient. A lot of good news. But I believe it all comes from a basis of Hebraic understanding. We got into this and we started this Wednesday night of of really, we always get into Hebrew and Greek to an extent. We got a little bit deeper Wednesday night, and we're going to continue down that line of the Hebrew alphabet the following Wednesdays. We do not have the ability, or I don't think it translates well, to Sunday morning to go through what we have gone through on Wednesday nights. But I do want to give you a topical understanding so that you can kind of see what we're about and what we're doing. What our standpoint is on the gospel. So, here we go. Everybody say, Lord, help me to love numbers. For like the next 30 minutes. 
Actually, I don't want you to be looking at your clock. 15 minutes. We'll pretend like it's going to be fast. I don't know about you, but even though as much as I love church, whenever I hear a, a preacher get up to preach and he says, so today's message, I have 15 points on uh, power with God. Then for me, it's like, oh, I wish you wouldn't have said that. If you have 15 points, fine. But now I'm going to be counting. I'm going to be looking at my watch. I'm like, the first point took 10 minutes. That's 150 minutes. This is not good. We're going to be here for a while. So don't, don't ever do that. If you preach, don't tell people how many points you have. It just, it, it's killer. Um, so I don't, I don't know that it's going to be 30 minutes. I'm just going to teach and we're going to all enjoy it. Amen. Help us love numbers. Okay. Unraveling a mystery. So here we go. How did God create the universe? You can respond. How did God create the universe? Spoke it into existence, right? So we're talking about God who knows all things. God who is very meticulous and who does not mince words or do things without reason. Would you agree? So if God is the lead constructor of the entire universe... If he is the foreman, don't you think that he would have gathered together the best utensils and the best material with which to build? If you had unlimited resources and you were building a house for your family, wouldn't you go out and get the best stuff? Look at what Solomon did whenever he built the temple. He had resources, so he brought in cedar from Lebanon. He brought in all of the best materials from all around the the known world at that time. He didn't get it all in Jerusalem or all in the land of Israel. Wouldn't you do the same thing if you had the ability? I saw a guy on television last week that spent $2 million on his hot tub. He's going to have to answer for that. (laughs) That's ridiculous. That's a whole country that could be in a different uh, tax bracket. Uh, Anyway, he did. Uh, He had the money, so he got all the best materials. Apparently, he loves hot tubs, and bam, there you have it. Well, God owns the cattle in a thousand hills. Everything is his. The heavens are his throne. The earth is his footstool. So I'm pretty sure when he decided, hey, I'm going to make this thing, he went ahead and gathered all of the best material that he could think of to gather, which is everything. Have you ever wondered if God's ever wondered? I don't think he has. I think he just knows stuff. So he decided to speak the world into existence. I don't think he arbitrarily chose or created a language. I think he did it on purpose. And what we're going to see today is it's very evident that he did it on purpose. So when God spoke the world into existence... He apparently used the Hebrew language to do it. How do we know that? Because when he revealed it to Moses, he revealed it to him in Hebrew. Hebrew is the original text of the Old Testament. I have a slide, uh, if we can get it up on the screen, of an old, uh, an actual Hebrew translation of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's got a little menorah underneath it. Genesis 1 and 1 in the Hebrew, there's a very interesting thing that happens. If you read it in your Bible in English... It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Well, we go on through day one through seven, and we see that God spoke things into existence. As he spoke things into existence, we don't have the slide with the Hebrew on it? Okay. Uh, Well, that was the Hebrew alphabet, but there's a slide that we had uh, with the Hebrew uh, Genesis 1-1 on it. Uh, In Hebrew, it's uh, seven letters, and I wanted you to see what it looked like, but I'll just explain it to you. So in Hebrew, it's seven letters, I'm sorry, seven words, verses 10. And because it's seven words, the Hebrew sages say that really that's the complete Bible because that's God's number of completion. He created the heavens and the earth in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Everybody say seven. Completeness. I didn't know if you were going to say that or not. Some of you did. Good job. So seven is God's number for completion. So seven words means it's all done. Now think about what he said. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So literally, if that's all he said... We owe him everything, right? In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. He really didn't have to say anything else. 
Just based on that, we should worship Him. Just based on that, we should understand this is all His. And we should want to give back to Him. And we should want to serve Him because He created all things. In the Hebrew, you have an interesting thing that happens. Seven words, verses 10. And it says, In the beginning, God created the Aleph. Everybody say Aleph. And the Tav. Everybody say Tav. And then it says the heavens and the earth. Very quickly, the Aleph and the Tav are the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which have no translation in Hebrew or in English. So it literally says, in the beginning, God created the Hebrew alphabet and then the heavens and the earth. This was a mystery for a very long time. Moses didn't understand why he was inspired to write that. Solomon, who was the wisest man in Old Testament times, died writing that the, uh, he, only, he only didn't understand a few things. And one of them was this olive and tov. It has no reason to be there. He didn't understand it. Fast forward thousands of years later, and we'll check out Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't write it down. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, it starts in verse 10, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if we can get that on the screen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. What, what Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 starts off saying roughly is that John heard a great trumpet. He heard a blast and he heard a voice. He turned around and what he saw was, uh, here we go. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Verse 11 says, uh, when he turned, the, the voice said, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in all the different areas that we're not talking about today. The point is, Jesus Christ was a Jew. John was a Jewish priest. If two Jewish, and Christ being the, the great and final high priest, if two Jewish priests get together and talk, they're not going to speak Greek. Greek happens to be the oldest version of the New Testament that we have. But these were all Hebrew people that were writing this with the exception of Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts. Everybody else was Hebrew. Everybody else was Jewish. So when they're talking, they're more than likely going to speak Hebrew. So what happens is John turns around, and it goes on to say he saw seven candles, he saw a menorah, and in the very center of the menorah, everybody say seven, in the center of the seven candles, he saw one like the Son of Man, which is a title for Christ. And Christ, if he was speaking Hebrew, he said, Hey, John, I want to tell you something. I am the Aleph and the Tav. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the Bible says in John 1 and 1 that all things were created by him and through him. And without him was nothing made that was made. So we know a few things. Jesus Christ is the revelation. He is the Aleph and the Tav. The Aleph and the Tav represents the Hebrew alphabet. The Aleph and the Tav also represents Christ, the beginning and the end. Therefore, God, when he created the universe first created the language that he was going to use to speak it into existence, then through Christ, who is the Aleph and the Tav, remember it says in the beginning God created the Aleph and the Tav, and then through him, everything else that was made. So that happened in the very first verse, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's pretty cool, but it gets a lot better than that. We're going to come back to the Aleph and Tav. I want to tell you some things about the Hebrew language first. So you're beginning to see why it's a little bit important. Here's the deal. When God gathered together all the material of the Hebrew language, he gathered 22 letters, exactly 22 letters. 22 letters are the foundation of all language on the face of the earth. Watch how this happens. So we have Aleph, 
And the, the only language on the earth that we think might be older than Paleo-Hebrew, the original Hebrew, is a Samaritan language, which is a whole other story or Sumerian text uh, that has a whole other sermon behind it. But as far as the Hebrew goes, you have Paleo-Hebrew being the oldest understandable language on the face of the earth. And it starts off with the letter Aleph, A-L-E-P-H in English. And it goes down through the Greek. The Greek alphabet starts with Alpha. And then you go down through Latin into English, and our alphabet starts with an A. So the foundation of all of it is the Hebrew. Then you have Bet in the Hebrew. You have Beta in the Greek. And you have the letter B in English. Then you have Gimel in the Hebrew. You have Gamma in the, in the, uh, in the Greek. And for some reason, we have C in English. We wanted to do something different. We have a G pretty, coming up pretty soon, but it's not in the right place. So you have the Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit in Hebrew is the next letter. Delta is the next letter in the Greek. D is the next letter in the Hebrew. You see how that works? So it's the foundation of all things. Now, here's a big difference. Hebrew and Greek are big boy languages. In big boy languages, the letters are spelled with other letters. In English, you spell A with an A. You spell B with a B. You spell C with a C. In Hebrew, you spell Aleph with three Hebrew letters. Aleph. Lamed and Pei, those three letters make up the first letter of the alphabet. Here's the crazy thing, and I want you to pay attention because it's about to get a little bit uh, twisty and turny. So here you have the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is made up of three other letters that are in the Hebrew alphabet. The crazy thing is those three letters are made up of other letters that are in the Hebrew alphabet. And as you look at the letters that make those up, they're made up out of other letters that are in the Hebrew alphabet. I'm talking about how to spell the letter. Now when you look at the letter, which we should be able to throw on the screen in a minute, uh, the, the breakdown of the Aleph, when you look at the letter, it, the letter itself, the symbol, the olive looks kind of like an X, but it has two different things on the end. We'll throw it up in a minute. Is made out of other letters in the Hebrew. So it's actually made out of two yods and a vav. The symbol for the letter is made out of two yods and a vav. The letter itself is spelt with an olive, a lamed, and a pe. So you have six different letters contained in one letter. And in each one of those six letters, there's six or seven more letters contained in each one of those. So it adds up infinity all the way down so that literally beginning with the very first letter of the hebrew alphabet you can unravel the entire rest of the hebrew alphabet and from that you can really unravel the text of the old testament here's something to make sure uh, a a, uh, a little example so that you know god was serious about his letters when he revealed the torah to moses check this out it's freaky when he revealed the torah when I say Torah, I'm talking about the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. Everybody say Torah. This was the Bible for a long time. When he revealed it, it took Moses approximately 600,000 Hebrew letters to write the Torah. 600,000 Hebrew letters to write the entire first five books of the Bible. The point of the first five books of the Bible was to reveal God to man to rescue man out of Egypt, to deliver man the covenant, and to tell the story of God and man. 600,000 letters. Well, when God sent Moses, the deliverer, to deliver the children of Israel, the book of Numbers tells us exactly how many men were, were saved out of Egypt and came through the Red Sea. Anybody want to guess how many people there were? 600,000. So there were 600,000 people, males, taken out of Egypt... And to write the Torah, God gave Moses 600,000 Hebrew letters. Why do those two match up? Because God is sending a message. 
The fullness of my word is meant to deliver my people. You understand? The fullness of my word is meant to deliver my people. I'm not sure if that's true. Well, God thought so much of his word that he decided to send his only begotten son. And the Bible tells us that he is the word wrapped in flesh. Amen. That's uh, John 1 verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. How did he deliver us? What did Jesus Christ do? Well, the Bible reveals in Revelation that when he returns, his most powerful weapon is a sword and it's coming out of his mouth because it's showing that the power of God is in the word of God. And when you speak the word of God, it has the ability to create. Are we sure? Well, that's what God did. He said, I spoke it and it came into existence. 600,000 words, 600,000 people. The fullness of my word was meant to deliver my people. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Everybody say 22. So why are we talking about unraveling a mystery this morning? I want to share a couple of scriptures with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. Do we have the blue slides of the Aleph and the Hebrew letters? I sent them to uh, the email. See if you can open them up. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world. Everybody say... Mystery. I want to read this a little slower. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What did they not understand? They didn't understand a mystery of God. What mystery are we talking about? Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 9. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 9 says, To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Everybody say mystery. Which from the beginning, everybody say beginning. All right, this is the mystery that we're talking about. If they would have understood this, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. What is the mystery? The fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God created the Aleph and the Tav, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ, through him, he created all things in the beginning. The mystery from the foundation of the world uh, has been hid in God who created all things by Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers, in other words, angels and heavenly places, might be made known by the church. Everybody say the church. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. The manifold wisdom of God. Are you ready? We're going to get into the message. Well, who are we? We are the church, right? What did Brother Louie just share with us? God is getting ready to do something at Edgewater Church that he hasn't done in a long time. He's making it a center. He's making it a hub. He's bringing people here. Why is that? Because we at Edgewater are interested as the church in revealing the mysteries of God. Well, how do we do that? Apparently, it was from the beginning. It was hid in God. It was hid in Christ through whom he created all things. Well, check this out. The very first thing he created was the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. The word mystery appears 22 times in the Bible. And because God has foresight and foreknowledge, eventually they added what's called five final forms, extra letters of the Hebrew alphabet that were not in the Paleo-Hebrew, totaling 27. The word mystery is in the Bible 22 times. The word mysteries is in the Bible five times. The mystery that is hidden in God, 
was hidden from the beginning of the world is wrapped up in the Hebrew language. 22 letters long. Christ said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the Aleph and the Tav. I am the beginning and the end. What book did he begin his church in? He began the church in the book of Acts, right? That's called the birthday of the church on Pentecost. He poured the Spirit out in the book of Acts. Church, get ready. Church, be prepared. God is going to do something at Edgewater. When did the church start? What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. Amen? Christ is the Aleph and the Tav. Amen? It's 22 letters long, right? It's a mystery that is repeated 22 times, right? So here you have in the book of Acts, which happens to be the 44th book of the Bible, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the church. When does the church age end? In the book of Revelation, right? How many books are in the Bible? 66 books. So he started it in book 44. He ended it in book 66. That's exactly 22 books to match the 22 letters, to match the mystery of God, to bring you back to Genesis 1-1, that through the Aleph and the Top, through the Hebrew language, through the mystery wrapped up in God from the beginning of time, He is revealing to His church. How are you going to find me on a deeper level? Study me from the beginning, God says. How are we going to get to know you more? We've been around for 6,000 years talking about the same book. How do we go deeper? How do we figure out what we're missing? Why don't we see the miracles? Why don't we walk in the power? God's saying, I revealed it. I revealed it in the beginning. Everybody say a word that you've probably never heard of before, but trust me, I want to explain it to you. Everybody say gematria. Say it louder. Gematria. Gematria is not a real word. I just wanted you to look silly. <laughs> just kidding. It's a real word. Gematria is uh, the definition of the uh, numerical value of each Hebrew letter. If you could throw up the slide that you threw up earlier with the Hebrew language on it, uh, I'll show you what I'm talking about. You look here on the slide, and you have the Hebrew language. You don't have to worry about most of that. This is what it looks like here on this side, each letter, the Aleph at the top, the Tav on the bottom. And then over here you have the, the uh, word picture for each one and what it means. And then you have the symbolic meaning. Where it says literal meaning, that's the word picture. Symbolic meaning is the symbolic meaning of that word. So here's a crazy little deal. Keep that up there. I want to share something with you real quick. Can we really know on a deeper level through understanding the Hebrew language? Let's look at... We'll flip to... Uh, where is it? Why do I do this to myself? I'll just tell you the story. I know I wrote it down. I don't know where it went. Maybe Ted has it. Um, here's how the story goes. In the Old Testament, I told you a Bible study was in Leviticus, but it's actually in Exodus chapter 21. So pay attention. Exodus chapter 21. In Exodus 21, God is giving some rules, some laws, and regulations. Stick with me. Aleph and Tav, in the beginning, 22 letters, mystery of God. Are we on the same page? The church is supposed to reveal. So now we're in Exodus chapter 21, and God is giving a law for people that own animals. And he says, if you own an ox, and your ox gets out of the pen, and it gores a manservant or a maidservant, and if you don't want your life to be forfeit, what you can do is pay a price and the ox can be put to death and you can be redeemed. So in order to pay that price, you had to pay exactly 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver from Exodus 21 is the redemption price of an ox. In the beginning, God created the Aleph and the Tav. Jesus Christ said, I am the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end. You ready to be freaked out? Got a couple things coming. The olive and the top. The redemption price for an ox, 30 pieces of silver. Fast forward to the New Testament. 
And Judas goes and talks to the priesthood that wants to crucify Christ. And he says these words, I'll sell him out. I'll take you to him for 30 pieces of silver. So what does that mean? That means he's paid the redemption price of the ox. There you go, 30 pieces of silver. Thank you, Ted, you have redeemed yourself. And you didn't cost you anything. 30 pieces of silver. Very good. Back to the Hebrew alphabet. God said in the beginning He created the olive and the top. We've seen that the olive and the top is Christ. It was 30 pieces of silver that sold Him out to the cross. The olive represents an ox. The tav represents, what is that word? Cross. So in the beginning, God created the ox that hung on the cross. And through Him, created all things. All we knew that it said was in the beginning, God created the olive and the top. Now we know that that olive and tov is the beginning and the end. That olive and tov is Jesus Christ. That olive and tov was the ox that hung on the cross. That olive and tov is 22 letters long. The mystery is 22 times repeated. Started in Acts, ended in Revelation. Jesus Christ, 22 books. Coincidence? I don't think so. You want to go a little step further? The olive is made out of two letters, the symbol. It's made out of two yodes. Can I get it back up? Oh, there you go. Cool. That's how you spell the olive. Let's get back to the other slide. We'll go to that in a second. The olive is made out of two yodes and a vav. There's a yod on the top of that diagonal line. There's a yod on the bottom. The vav is standing upright here. It's slanted whenever you make the olive. Two yods and a vav. So let's look at the yod and see what is the yod's literal meaning or hand picture. Or I'm sorry, word picture. Closed hand. What is the vav? Nail. Oh my gosh, what could that represent? In the beginning, God created the nailed hand, the ox that hung on a cross, the beginning and the end, the mystery of 22 letters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but He used Christ to do it through. Christ is the Son of God, a manifestation of God. Here's something kind of freaky. Let's look at the gematria of Aleph. Aleph is made out of, uh, whenever you spell it, let's go to the spelling, Ted. Aleph is made out of the, uh, this is the Aleph, this is the Lamed, and this is the Pei. Okay, three Hebrew letters. Everybody say Aleph. When you say Aleph, that's what you're saying. So let's try this again. In the beginning, God created the strength of His instructions, which is in His Word. This is what these letters mean. Strength because of the ox, instructions because of the staff, and the Word is the Word. So in the beginning, He created the strength of His instructions through His Word, which would be Christ, wrapped in flesh, the nailed hand, the ox on the cross, the 22 layers, the beginning and the end. But it goes even further than that. Let's look at the gematria for Aleph, Lamed, and Pei. Go back to the Hebrew alphabet. We'll look at the gematria. The Aleph is, you see the number here, the Aleph is 1. Where's the Lamed at? Equals 30. So you have 31. Here's the pay. Somebody add that up. 111. So they didn't understand it in the Old Testament. The manifestation wasn't there. But what God just said, how many is God? How many gods do we have? We have one God, right? How many manifestations? Three. So it looked like a 111 almost. So in the beginning, God created the Aleph, whose gematria is 111, which represents one God in three manifestations, through the nailed hand, who's the ox that hung on the cross, who's the beginning and the end, who's 22 letters long, the beginning of the church and the end of the church. This is what he did from day one. Actually, this is before day one. In the beginning, God created 
the Aleph and the Tav. Is the Hebrew language important? I think so. I think so. You want to go one step further that we didn't do on Wednesday night? Let's look at the gematria of the letters that make up the word Aleph. You have, again, two Yods and a Vav. So let's add this up. Yod is 10. 10 and 10 is 20. One Vav. The Vav is 6, so 26. Everybody say 26. Who knows? Jehovah is the name that we have for God in the Old Testament, but Jehovah is not a real word. It's, it's a translation. There's no J in Hebrew. Who knows what it's actually said, how it's pronounced? Yahweh. How is Yahweh spelled? Anybody know? It's the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter word of God. There are no vowels in Hebrew, so every, all the spelling looks weird if you do it legit. Anybody know? Right. Yod hey, vav hey. What's the gematria of Aleph? 26. Didn't we just see that? Two yods and a vav, 26. God's ineffable name, his description they don't even know how to say is yod hey, vav hey. You want to add that up real quick? Uh, yod is 10. Hey is 5. Vav is 6. That gives us 21. Plus another hey, which is 5, gives us 26. Yod hey, vav hey. So now we have in the beginning, God created. The triune God manifested as one, one, one. Yod, hey, vav, hey, the hand and the nail, the ox that hung on the cross, the beginning and the end, the 22 letters. I think I lost track. I think we left something out. That's amazing. So God is saying, let's read again out of Ephesians. Prepare, church, because God is doing something at Edgewater. Prepare. Ephesians 3 and 9. And to make all men see. Everybody say see. What is the fellowship of the mystery? Everybody say mystery. Which was from the beginning, everybody say beginning, of the world and has been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ, the ox on the cross, the hand and the nail, the one, 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 the 26, the yod, hey, vav, hey, to the intent that now unto the angels in heavenly places might be made known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. First Corinthians two, because if they would have known it, they would not have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory because they didn't understand the can that they were opening. At that point, a release, a release of the Hebrew King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In the beginning, God created 22 letters, 22 books, 22 mysteries, 600,000 people. Are numbers important to God? Is the language important to God? Here's a what I call a neon lit sign pointing you towards the idea that this is very important to God. The, the Bible happens to have a central scripture or a center chapter. Before this chapter, there are exactly 594 chapters to the left of it. And there are 594 chapters to the right of it. And there's one chapter right there in the middle of your Bible. 594 and 594 equals what? Uh-huh. 1188. Sorry, should have let you pull out a calculator. I knew the answer before I asked the question. It's not fair. 594, 594 equals 1188 or 1188. So, what's the center chapter and verse in the Bible? Uh, could it be Proverbs 27 3? It could be, but it's not. Could it be Isaiah 56 and 10? It could be, but it's not. 594 chapters to the left, 594 to the right. That number equals 1188. So what do you think God did? The very center scripture of your Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8. That's not a coincidence. 1188. 
It adds up to the number of chapters on its left hand and on its right hand. And for a yard sign pointing, saying, hey, check this out. He went ahead and made of his entire 66-book Bible, he made Psalm 117 the shortest chapter in the Bible. And he made Psalm 119 the longest chapter in the Bible. So he bookmarked Psalm 118 with two arrows saying, check out what's in between so that we might notice this is the center of the Bible. This is the central scripture. And it adds up to the same number of chapters on the left hand and on the right. What do you suppose it says? Better to trust in the Lord. than You, you guys are good. It's not behind me on the screen, is it? Better to trust in the Lord. Right? Than to lean on your own understanding. Why is that? Because our own understanding wouldn't have given us the Aleph and Toph. Moses didn't write that. He didn't know what he was doing. Solomon didn't understand it. Me and you have just barely discovered it. And we're just chipping away at the tip of the iceberg, unraveling a mystery. Amen? Unraveling a mystery. I'm just going to talk to you for a second. We're going to stop with all this madness. The Word of God is an amazing thing. What I want to tell you real briefly before we come to a conclusion, and the the praise and worship team can go ahead and come up. On Wednesday night, uh, we broke off into getting away from the Aleph and getting into the Beit, which is the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And that, for me, was the highlight of the evening. That letter is every bit as amazing, if not more amazing, than Aleph. And we have something prepared next week for the Gimel, which is the third letter. And the more you learn, the more you understand. Let me just tell you like this. The olive, because it's the ox head and because it's the strength, represents the head, right? In the New Testament, the Bible says that God created man to be the head. He said in Deuteronomy, I created you to be the head and not the tail. To have authority from above and not below, right? So whenever God created man in his likeness and image, uh, the head seemed to be the central point, right? Whenever Christ was crucified, guess where he was crucified? On a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So the head is a big deal. The battle goes on in here. When you say, I love you with all of my heart, it's not your blood pumping organ. It's in here. It's the emotional heart. It all happens in between your ears. This is the battleground of the enemy. Your thoughts, your ideas, your decisions, your words come from here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not this heart. It's this heart. It's the emotional heart, right? The theater of the mind. This is the battleground. Why he was crucified on Golgotha. Why am I telling you all that? Because God said, let us make man in our likeness and in our image. Guess how many bones are in man's face? 22. 22 bones in the head. Coincidence? I don't think so. That's what God does. So what did he, what was he saying? I want to surround your brain with the 22 letters of my alphabet. Because if you can get your mind wrapped around this 22-length mystery, you can find me in such a deep place that you'll entertain my thoughts. Don't believe the evil report. Believe the good report. Amen? I have made you the head and not the tail. In the head if you endeavor. In the head if you understand. If you can wrap your head around the mystery of God, you can go to a whole new place with God. Where do your feet go? The place that your mind has decided. If you can get it wrapped around your mind, the Bible says salvation is in the helmet. Cover your mind with salvation. Understand the 22 bones, the 22 letters. Understand my message to you in there because 
with 600,000 of my letters, I can deliver 600,000 people. The fullness of my word will deliver man out of bondage. Aleph Lamed Pei, the strength of my instruction is in my word, he said in the very first letter. Here's the cool thing. There's a letter that represents you and me. That, that letter, Aleph, is a, an amazing representation of God and Christ. The letter that best represents you and I is the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet called the Beit. Why is that important? I'm going to end with this thought, and I want you to understand God's heart towards you. Go ahead and stand to your feet. The letter that best describes you is the Beit. B-A-Y-T or B-E-T, depending on who's spelling it in English. That letter, the second letter that we represent with B, describes me and you almost to the nth degree the way that the Aleph describes God. So let's go back to the beginning of the message. If you were the builder that was in charge, you would gather all of the best stuff, right? That you could. And when you began building, I think the very first move that you make is going to be the most important or importante. So God, when He decided to reveal to Moses the Word of God and the Torah, I wonder what is the first letter that He used. Because God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. God doesn't do anything without reasoning. In the Hebrew, what does Genesis 1-1 read? What's the first word? Elohim, which starts with an olive? Not the first word. Adonai, which starts with an olive? Not the first word. When God began to reveal His Word, this is what He said to Moses. Bereshit. In the beginning is how we say it. Bereshit. The very first word in the Torah, the very first letter is a bait. The next word begins with an olive. But the first word begins with a bait. God did that on purpose because He wanted you to know. When it comes to my word, which He said in Psalm 138, He places even above His own name. When it comes to my word, I want you to understand I thought of you first. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter and it tells us in Revelation that Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ was crucified, slain, before the foundation of the world. In the beginning, God created the hand and the nail, the ox on the cross, the olive and the tov. He already knew what was coming. Christ was crucified in the mind of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. This happened in the mind of God before you were ever created. He understood what it was going to take to redeem you. And so He told Moses, Bereshit. Bait. This is about you. This is my plan for you. The literal or word picture is a house. Know ye not, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the house of God. Is that what he meant? Well, I don't know. When he told him to build the temple, he said, make five gates. When he built you, he gave you five senses. Bereshit. In the beginning, he thought of you first. He hung his son on a cross before he ever said, let there be light. That's what God thinks about you. So have you messed up this week? I'm pretty sure you have. If you haven't, you probably messed up this month. You've probably made some promises to God and haven't fulfilled them. Maybe you've cried out and then given up. 
Maybe you've treated your neighbor ill. Maybe you've treated your wife or your husband or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or brother or sister in a, bad, in a way that you know you shouldn't have. Has God turned from you? Has He forgotten what you said? Has He forgotten what He said to you? No. He's telling you right now, Bereshit. Beginning. Let's start over. It's okay. I hung Him on a cross before you were ever created. I knew you were going to mess up. I knew what you were going to do yesterday. I know what you're going to do tomorrow, God's saying. And I still made that decision. Aleph and Tav. Ox and the cross. So, Bereshit. We'll begin again. We'll start fresh because it's about you. It's about you. Amen? Amen. We worship Him. We don't worship ourselves. But He said, as you worship Me, I'm going to make this about you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to reach down from heaven and I'm going to do what I need to do for you. Better sheet. So if you haven't begun, begin now. If you need a restart, restart today. Better sheet, God's saying. I got you.